Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I have Meg Goldthwaite with me from NPR. She is the Chief Marketing Officer. Hi, Meg, and welcome to the show. Hi, Nadine. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. You know, Meg, you and I had a really fun chat a few weeks ago, I think maybe even a month ago now, and you were sharing with me all of your incredible career adventures. But before we dive into that, can you share with me a little bit about what you're doing with NPR today and what took you there? Sure. Well, I am blessed to work for an organization that many, many people around the world have heard of. So it's not a brand that I typically need to sort of explain what it is. Here at NPR, we seek to create a more informed public, um, challenged and invigorating, but a deeper understanding of things around them. And I joined NPR about a year and a half ago now, and it's been a terrific ride. As their chief marketing officer, I lead an incredible group of marketers and communicators and branders as we help tell the story of people who are telling the stories of the world. It's a really extraordinary place to be and an honor to be able to do this on a daily basis. Wow. I mean, I'm certain that you are spinning with amazing stories to share in so many different ways. And I want to dive into that and especially want to come back to this point around an informed public. But let's first start with where you came from because you've done so many cool things and I I just want to learn more. Can you talk a little bit about your journey? Absolutely. The fun thing is that I have very much been an opportunistic career person, Mm -hmm. frankly. I came out of school with a degree in French and government with an eye to wanting to be in broadcast journalism. This is so long ago that it's not even on my resume anymore, but my very first job out of college was to work in a newsroom here in Washington, D.C., and that was where I was bit by the love of news, but it would take 30 plus years until I landed back into the land of journalism, but it is quite amusing for me to think about 
me, uh, you know, in my cap and gown thinking I was going to become a broadcast journalist. And I was only doing that for about a year before I made some decisions that took me out of that path. And then um, lo and behold, serendipity brought me back here so many years later. I didn't initially want to be in marketing. I don't think I really understood marketing. I had sort of the classic experience coming out of school with a liberal arts degree not exactly sure what I wanted to be doing. I spent some time, as I mentioned, in broadcast journalism. I did some video production and I had one really amazing job and was laid off for that job after six months because the first Gulf War, I think it's really important to you know talk about the ups and the downs. And I, I remember loving this job. It was a membership organization. And um, it just happened to be responsible for setting up conferences for CEOs around the world. And I was responsible for several conferences in the Middle East when the first Persian Gulf broke out. And a lot of CEOs didn't want to go there at that time. And they had to eliminate my position. I then sort of spent some time trying on different hats and having different experiences which is one of the key things that I talk to people coming right out of school when they're saying, what should I be doing and what should I be focusing on? And I just say, you know, go out and get as much experience doing as many things as possible. My work as a computer consultant for Macintosh Computers, that had me placed as a temporary employee at a telecom firm that is now part of Verizon. At the time, it was called MCI. And um, MCI was in a battle, a marketing battle for its life against AT&T. And I was placed there to work on a software program. And um, 15 years later, I had an incredible education and experience in marketing. So what an interesting way to start your career. And then what happened? Because you took a big turn and went into nonprofit. Is that right? Yes. After 15 years being fortunate enough to work with incredible marketing professionals and at MCI, I decided I wanted to take those business skills. I had been fortunate enough to at night get my MBA while I was at MCI and I wanted to take those business skills and sort of point them towards a greater good and was looking around for what opportunities there would be. And I was speaking with two people that I had worked with at MCI who had moved on to the World Wildlife Fund. And they had a big project. It was called Earth Hour. It had been done in Sydney, Australia the year before. And World Wildlife Fund US wanted to make Earth Hour happen, which is an event to raise awareness for climate change by turning off the lights all around the globe for one hour on a Saturday night in March. And they wanted to do it in the United States and they didn't know how to do it. And these people came to me and said, Meg, we know you as someone who is pretty good at figuring things out and frankly, not afraid to jump into something about which you know nothing. Won't you please come over here and help us figure out how to turn the lights off around the United States for an hour and get people excited about their ability to do something to remedy climate change or at least mitigate it. And um, so they asked me if I was interested. Again, no one had any guide path on how to do this. That's sort of my favorite project to jump into. So I said, sure. And um, I started there and I think it was four months later, we successfully got the lights turned off at major cities around the country. And that went on to to trigger a movement. And, and the fantastic thing about Earth Hour is it's still 
happening today all around the world very organically. People are turning off their lights to to pay attention to the to the world and the environment and our climate and talk about what they can do about it. But the point is, is that I, you know, more than anything, I'm drawn to projects and to things where, again, there's sort of no map and no path to how to get there. And I just tend to be the kind of person that says, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll figure this out. Well, how cool is that? Because, you know, you always hear somebody say, let's turn the lights on, you know, let's get these lights on. And instead you're saying, hey, no, let's turn these lights off. <laughs> yeah, let's turn these lights off. And, and I will say that one of the most exciting moments at the World Wildlife Fund when we were working on Earth Hour was watching the entire Las Vegas Strip go dark for an hour and watch it basically evaporate (laughs) into the desert. And after I had been told very specifically by several people in Las Vegas that I was not going to be able to make that happen, I thought, well, you have not seen my enthusiasm. We are going to make this happen. And so that that was quite a coup and it was very, very fun to watch. Wow. Okay. So I've been to Vegas several times. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. I mean, that's a lot of lights to turn off. Oh my it God. Is. It is. We we were very mindful. We made certain that everybody knew that in the casinos, enjoying their variety of entertainment and things that inside, you know, we were not asking all the casinos to go dark. That would probably be a security risk. But if you looked outside, all the key properties turned their lights off and that place that's known as the Vegas Strip went dark for an hour again to raise awareness for this important initiative. Oh gosh, that's so cool. I could talk about the impact at Vegas all day long, I think maybe, but let's move on because you then went and did something amazing after that with the Clinton Bush Haiti Fund, right? I did. It was several months, well, actually several weeks, I should say, after the earthquake. And I was approached by an incredible man who had just been asked by Presidents Bush and Clinton to head the Clinton Bush Haiti Fund. And Gary came to me and I told him a bit about what I had been working on with Earth Hour and the experiences that I had with MCI. And we just really hit it off. He explained to me um, the urgency in Haiti and that he was interested in doing something different, which was really focusing on economic development and creating opportunities for that country to sustain itself with the notion that ultimately all of the support that had gained come around to help that country after this incredibly catastrophic earthquake, trying to help fuel and fires that would allow economic growth to continue after all of that support left. And so he was setting up the Clinton Bush Haiti Fund and asked me to come on board. I remember saying to him, I I don't have experience in international development. I have not done this before. And he said, listen, you are a French major. You speak French. You know how to get people excited about things. And I want to share these incredible stories of economic development and the passion and the enthusiasm of this country and these incredibly tenacious and brilliant Haitians. And I want to be able to tell their stories of success. And you're exactly the person that I want to do that. And I remember Gary looking at me and saying, please don't say no to the people of Haiti. And I don't know if you'll recall, but at the time we were all as a world seeing these incredible images, over $50 million had been raised by the Clinton Bush Haiti Fund. And we were setting about the work of, of putting that money out. And Gary wanted me to be telling 
those stories and and taking those positive views of optimism out to the rest of the world in order to sort of counteract a lot of the negative ones. It was a brilliant experience, a very different experience than working for MCI or or even for the World Wildlife Fund in an established not-for-profit organization because we were a startup. I think I might have been employee number two or three. And um, we had a great ride. It took me to the depths of poverty. And I spent a lot of time in Haiti connecting with people um, uh, who really needed our help and our support. It was incredibly moving for me as a person. I was so proud to share that work with my children. I'm a working mom of of three incredible kids. And I always like to say that if I'm going to have to be away from you in another country or in another city, I, I want it to be for something that you can be proud of. And that work that I did for Haiti was absolutely something that I, that I could be proud of and that they could be proud of. Wow. And congratulations on such an, a noble effort and, and a great cause. It, it sounds like through this process, you've really developed your storytelling capabilities. I have. So much of it is is just listening and everyone has a story to tell no matter who they are or where they are. And the secret to being a good storyteller is actually much more in your ears than in your mouth, listening to what people are trying to say and being able to understand what they are about. It's the very best part of what I get to do. Obviously, being here at NPR in the heart of storytelling land is humbling for me. And I now I'm in a place where I'm just trying to tell the stories of the storytellers. And, and that's very exciting. Okay. So that is so cool. And, and I, I know that there've been a couple other things that you've done in your career. Let's come back to those later. Cause let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about NPR and storytelling right now and what you're working on. We're actually coming up pretty soon on our 50th anniversary in a couple years. We have been doing this audio thing for a very long time. And as I mentioned at the top of our conversation, when people think of listening and they think of audio, they think of NPR, we are the pioneers of that. And so inherent in in that is a quality, a love of sound, the importance, as I said, of both storytelling, but also listening. And so here at NPR, we are looking at where we want to be going for our next 50 years. We've come a long way in radio, where one point in time, that was their sole source of entertainment and information in the middle of the last century. And then we move towards screens where people are looking at things all the time. And you hear people talking about, put down that screen, parents want their kids to stop looking at their laptops and their smart devices. And now we have this incredible new technology, which is smart speakers, Apple's Siri, we've got Alexa, you've got Google Home. All of these incredible devices um, and smart speakers are now able to bring audio back to the forefront, which is fantastic because there's an incredible technological advancement happening and we are the very best at that. So you'll see a lot of us focusing here at NPR now on making certain that people understand that that magic and the romance of gathering around the radio that brought people so much comfort during World War II and other times in America's life We are now back to that again, where we find that people are gathering around their smart speaker and listening to Alexa and asking 
Google for the news. And so our job here in marketing and communications is making certain that people understand that and making certain that we are connecting both from a marketing standpoint with the device makers so that we are right there front and center anytime anybody says, hey, Siri, give me the news, which I have to be careful not to say in front of my phone. I will start telling you <laughs> the news. But then also connecting with listeners so that they know that NPR is everywhere. I'm, it's not only just something that I'm putting in my ears and listening to, but I can also listen to it communally with my family. Yeah, it's amazing. And I love what you said before, which is storytelling is less about what you say, but what you hear. And now you're connecting the dots to this incredible new way for everyone to consume these stories through audio. And it's just, it's amazing. And so how do you think about what kind of stories do you want to share from NPR? You mentioned earlier about really having a need to have an informed public. Like, are there certain things that you focus on at NPR to share that you think are really important? The fantastic thing about NPR, and, and we go back, to, as, I, as I mentioned, we're coming up on our 50th birthday, um, is the sort of organic nature of there are stories out there and our job is to uncover them wherever they are. I like to talk about us being able to get anywhere and to be everywhere. So I wouldn't say that we are out there saying there are specific stories we want to tell as much as we want to tell the stories that are out there. We are very proud of our journalistic independence and the fact that we're out there uncovering what's going on in VA hospitals so that we can make certain that we are taking care of the people who are protecting America's freedom by ensuring that they are getting the very best care. So our journalists are out there understanding that. They are in the far far reaches of the world in Syria and in the Middle East and they're understanding what's going on and making something that is very distant for many of our listeners here in the United States, you know, those are distant places. So we take something that is far away and we make it personal for them. So we seek to bring out the more intimate, in-depth stories, the story behind the, the news story, if you will, what it sounds like to be in an encampment on the border of the United States, what it sounds like to be on the trading floor in Wall Street, what it sounds like to be standing in the middle of a glacier. I mean, we we go to places where maybe stories aren't being told in as much depth as we can and we and we bring those stories out. So it's quite remarkable now in these times where the news cycle is just constantly spinning and being able to cover what's going on in Washington, D.C., but also making all of that directly connect with that person that's in Waterville, Maine, so that they understand what that means. So when I talk about creating a more informed public, it is really about taking those stories and, and bringing them out so that that they can have direct connections to the people that are hearing them. When we were talking about your career journey earlier, we said, okay, let's, let's pause for a moment and talk about NPR. But I want to go back to that because it's so connected to what you're doing now. 
you know, you've had roles at Women for Women International. You've also been the chief marketing officer for Conservation International. And I feel like what you're doing now is sort of bringing all those things together with this ability to be now the CMO at NPR. So I'd love to hear how you have thought about your career journey and the skills that you brought and sort of what you're zeroing in on now as a result of those experiences and maybe new things that you're learning along the way. Sure. I would say the thread that kind of goes through my career, you know, once I made the decision to go deeper into marketing, that thread that has sort of pulled through everything is actually a lot of what I learned when I was going through Marketing 101 School at MCI, the importance of business and understanding what is going to create a sustainable business. And I don't just mean a for-profit business. I also mean the business behind a not-for-profit organization, which is what I bring through from my for-profit days into my not-for-profit days. No matter where you are, this is something that I tell my kids and, and also younger people, again, that are coming out of school. It really is about the money. I mean, if, if you are in an organization, a not-for-profit organization with an incredible mission, but you don't have funding and you're not able to sustain your operations of your mission, you're not going to achieve that mission. So really focusing on the business aspects of it and of not-for-profit, it is important that you are focusing on your mission. So here at NPR, again, to create a more informed public is our mission. But in order to do that mission, we need to be able to have people listening to us. We need for those audiences to support us and to support our member stations. And so we need funding in order to to do this. We have major news operation here. We need funding in order to do that. We need funding in order to do podcasts. My job in marketing and communications is really to help drive that. And it has been the same at every one of the organizations that I have gone to. It is, we're going in here now, what do we need to do in order to generate revenue? And what do we need to do to make a sustainable organization? That's really, in many ways, what marketing is about. People will support and want to support incredible organizations once they understand what that mission is. So my job as a marketer is to go in and say, this is the unbelievable thing that we are doing here. So I talk about the importance of understanding, not being afraid of having a conversation about numbers. You know, a lot of people think, oh, marketing, that's about cool advertising and making things pretty. And I want a fun logo and a, and a clever tagline. But it's just as much understanding what those mechanisms are doing to drive funding support, what they're doing to drive members to want to join your member station, what they are doing to want philanthropic supporters to provide money for you to do your mission. So that business thread is, has followed me and served me well, no matter where I am. I mean, I, I, as I, I mentioned at the beginning, I was a French and a government major. I wasn't misfinance, but I know that I need to have the ability to have financial conversations. The same with legal. I need to be able to understand legal ramifications. I need to be able to understand technical ramifications. So I feel like that well-rounded business experience has served me well, no matter where I have gone and, and where I'm going. Okay. So Meg, I have to admit, I have to chuckle a little bit when I hear your story because you've been able to connect so many dots between being involved in 
missions and organizations where you are truly passionate about it, it's good for the world, and yet you have this business savvy about you to be able to translate that into why are we doing this and how are we going to sustain our growth? And then I, I, just, I, can't, I can't help it. You've said it a couple of times now that you study French and politics. Now I am French and the last thing in the world you want to do in France is talk about politics. And it's just so funny that you, you've been able to merge all these cool things together. You probably have like the most ideal role out there for anyone right now. I, I, <laughs> you know what? You bloom where you're planted, I guess. I certainly would not have drawn the path that I drew and said, oh yes, I am going to go here and then I'm going to make a left turn here, six steps over that hill. It's just been a function of where I am and where I've been planted, taking opportunities as I see them. You know, there were definitely was a moment when I was at my second year at the Clinton Bush Haiti Fund and I thought to myself, I I'm actually living my degrees right now. I am dealing on a regular basis with both the United States and the Haitian government, and I am speaking French on the daily. How how does that happen? I I actually, amusingly, this may be the first job, and I've only been here for a year and a half. This may be the first job that I have not needed to speak French in my job, which is pretty awesome given that even back in 1988, when I graduated from college, everybody said that French was dead. I mean, every job that I've had, I have been more successful because I've I've gone to the Congo when I worked for Women for Women International and spoke French there. I've spent nearly a month in Paris during the climate talks a couple of years ago, speaking French extensively there. It, I want to go back to my French teachers and say, it's not dead. Look, it's really not. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with you because I believe that too. <laughs> so I have so many questions for you. And, and I want to talk a little bit though about something that you mentioned earlier. And, and you said you're a mom. And I, I really love what you said, which is if I'm going to be away from you, then please know it's something for the greater good or something you can be proud of me for. And you did work with Women for Women International. How, what advice do you give for women who are trying to juggle it all? I will look back on the advice that was given me. I have, one of my best friends is a CFO at a major organization, a major corporation. And she manages to have this incredible life and she also has three kids and I'm also a triathlete. She's a triathlete and I look to her frequently for tips on how to, how to survive. And um, I've, I remember early on talking to her about balance and, um, you know, I, I, I call her Yoda. Uh, that's not her name, but that's my nickname for her. And I remember saying to her, Yoda, how are you able to do all of these things? And Nadine, she's incredible. If you wave at her from across the room, you will get a perfectly handwritten thank you note for the lovely arc of your wave. You know, she she does it all. And she explained to me, you know, balance is not something that you're going to hit on a daily basis. And you may not hit it on a weekly basis, but it's something that you strive for over your lifetime. So don't beat yourself up because you are not having a balanced day. Look holistically at your life and seek to have balance in the long run. And, um, you know, my kids are coming up. I've got two in college and one about to enter college. And, you know, I've worked throughout. I took a little bit of time for maternity leave, but I was a mom the entire time. But I was working in these sort of fast-paced jobs. And um, sometimes I brought them 
them along. I, I have a wonderful memory of my precious daughter, Annabelle, who at the time I believe was about 10 years old, sitting in a very small conference room with President George Bush as I made a presentation about some of the work that we were doing in Haiti. And she was able to be there in the room. She didn't participate in the meeting, obviously, but she was able to sit there and, and watch me have that interaction with another human being who just happened to be the former leader of the free world and telling him about the exciting work that he and President Clinton were doing in Haiti through our fund. But bringing my kids along, I might not have been able to be at every single one of their soccer games or swim meets. My kids are part of my work life and they love it. They are very proud of the work that I do at NPR. My my son wears his public radio nerd t-shirt proudly around his college campus and everybody asks him about it. So part of that balance is finding out how I can incorporate all aspects of my life and really net them together. So I definitely would not say I'm, you know, at the top list of all of the best moms. I certainly, you know, I missed a lot of back to school nights and I wasn't always the parent that was there on the field trip, but I would also take my kids along on their own field trips, you know, be it to taking them to Iceland or things or that. So weaving that together um, has really been the key to trying to balance things. And then it's also really important to know that I don't get it right all the time. I don't get it right all the time in business and I do not get it right all the time as a parent and being okay with that and 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 forgiving myself and looking to all the other unbelievably strong, brave and courageous women that are out there, both with kids and without kids that are doing their thing and owning their world and uh, being able to watch them and get inspiration from them when I need it and hopefully provide some shred of that for those around me as well. Wow. Okay. I'm inspired and I'm sure your children are very thankful and grateful for the cool experiences that you've given them along the way. So that's really great advice. Well, uh, we are coming up to the end of this and I have one more question for you. But before I ask you that last question, I want to open it up to you. Is there anything at all that you would offer up as a career tip or something that helps you define yourself in your career or pivotal moment? You know, Nadine, you mentioned my sort of interesting career path. You know, so much of my career has been based on being ready for whatever was in front of me right here and now, not being afraid of something that was not defined. I've been able to have incredible experiences because I raised my hand and said, yes, I want to figure out how to create a virtual reality film and the depths of the Amazon, or I might not know a thing about how I am going to turn all the lights off across the country, but just being ready to say, yes, I want that opportunity, even if I don't know how to take it. I think that has been really key in almost every job that I have had since I got out of school. That's the biggest advice that I would give to people just coming into their careers is be brave and look for opportunities. Oh, I love that. And Meg, if anyone can do the job that you're in, it's got to be you because let's not forget, you had all of Vegas turn their whole light system off. But my last question for you, and I can't wait to hear this answer. If you were not 
CMO or doing what you're doing today, what would you be doing? Um, so money's not an object. I don't have to put children through college. Those kinds of things is the yep. thing. My dream career, I would be an actress. I've wanted to be an actress my whole entire life. I think part of what you see from me oftentimes will be some level of performance. But yes, so there you go. If money were not an object and talent probably was not an object, then I would absolutely try to be on Broadway. I love it. That is great. Well, maybe one day you should shoot your own video series and reincarnate your incredible adventures through life acting as yourself. Because I think a lot of people would like to see you in the Congo and Haiti and all these other wonderful places you've been. They probably would like to see just how somebody can be so successful with such bad, bad hair. Yes. (laughs) Well, you need to talk to my friend, Mary Beth over at Sephora because on her podcast, she offered a lot of help. And so we we need to go there together. How about that? Very good, Nadine. That sounds like a good plan. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Well, Meg, thank you so much for being with me today. It's been a real pleasure. It has been a pleasure talking to you, Nadine. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you taking all of our stories out there into the world. So thank you for the storytelling and the story sharing that you do. That's so important. Oh, thank you. It is entirely my pleasure. I love what I do. So thank you for that. Take care. You too. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 